Hey friend, I'm Crystal Gurevich and welcome to the Acres of Hope podcast. This is a special edition of the podcast. It's a full teaching on Acres of Hope I recently shared and it's on Hosea and it's sort of a condensed version of chapters four and five of my book, Acres of Hope. And my prayer is that your faith and your hope is encouraged And after our time together, your heart is filled with the hope that we have in Jesus. And this is my prayer for you, that you feel, you understand, you know, and you deeply plant acres of hope. We're going to learn together from the book of Hosea. And Hosea is a prophet. And he's considered one of the minor prophets because of the size of his book. It totals 14 chapters, and it's just a little smaller than other books written by prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that have 50 to 60 chapters. And major prophets are uh, ones like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And Hosea wrote over... 25-year time frame. And this book of the Bible, at first glance, doesn't have much hope at all. The prophet Hosea was speaking to the nation of Israel, which was crumbling. They had gone through six kings in 30 years, and they would have soon been conquered by Assyria. The nation of Israel had chosen other gods and other things that they could see to be what they chose to put their hope in. They had forgotten to love God. The book of Hosea begins with God asking the prophet Hosea to act out the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel by marrying a woman who would be unfaithful to him. In theological terms, it's called the enactment. God asks Hosea to marry a woman, and her name's Gomer, who would be unfaithful to him to show the people of Israel how much it broke God's heart to see his people follow other gods. And at first glance, it could be shocking and even confusing that our loving God would ask a prophet to do this. But when God shows us his mercy by showing us how we are falling short and how we're not counting him as our first love, it's actually a kind gift. And if you read and study the book of Hosea, by all definitions, it would seem like everything was crumbling. And if we chronicled the last 18 months, we might be able to pinpoint moments where we felt a similar feeling, like everything was crumbling. Our days are packed with things that chip away at our trust in almost everything, including God. We don't experience a day without encountering a doubt about something trying to consume our thoughts. We have an enemy that wants us to live every day without hope. And that makes hope really hard sometimes. We're fighting to discern between the truth and the lies and eventually our stamina wears thin and we begin to experience hope fatigue. We don't want to hope for one more thing, one more time. And hope begins to feel fragile. It begins to feel hard. And hope requires trust. But hope can live 
in desperate places. And hope is not just a feeling. It's the fullness of Jesus' presence. And the truest definition of hope is living in confident expectation that something we desire or long for will happen. And this hope is bound to us while we wait. The Bible explains hope this way. In Romans 8 verses 24 and 25, Paul says, For in this hope, in Jesus, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We have hope in the salvation of Jesus now, but we also have pain while we wait on our eternal salvation. And this is the tension of hope. We are tied to the guarantee that we can trust God's eternal promise to save us. And because we can't see and hold that hope right now, that makes it hope. It's a confident expectation that our salvation is near and will be forever even though we cannot physically see our complete salvation in Jesus with our eyes just yet. And we can keep going because we can keep hoping in that promise of salvation. And not all of our wishes will come true when we hope, but we can be certain that there's no embarrassment in hoping in God's promises one more time. And hope means that God promises to restore, redeem, repair, and renew all of us, in every situation that we find ourselves in. He promises to never leave us in Deuteronomy 31, 6. He promises that goodness and mercy will follow us every day of our lives in Psalm 23 and 6. As believers in Jesus, when we say hope, we're not expressing a word that is claiming a possible outcome or a probable uncertainty. We are expressing the hope in promises of God. Hope changes us. Having hope makes us realize that we are not in control and our ultimate outcomes are in the safe hands of Jesus. Hope is a miracle. And when we hope, we are confidently waiting in expectation for Jesus to show up. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery to the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that is hope. Freedom and good news and recovery of sight, that means hope can live in desperate places. Maybe you're living on the other side of some of the darkest moments you've ever experienced, and now you're convinced that God is always repairing, redeeming, and restoring and renewing hope. Maybe you are in those darkest moments of your life right now, and we see you, and we pray that your hope is increased. We hope that you find a truth to hold tightly to. While you're waiting, scripture teaches us that hope can replace our desperate hopelessness. And that's what Hosea saw. This book of the Bible has been really important to me for a few years. I've had a piece of paper with my Bible that it was actually my prayer list for 2019. And the last thing I wrote on my list on that piece of paper was that I was believing God 
for acres of hope. And on the back of that piece of paper, I wrote Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to start all over again. I'm going to take her, Israel, back out into the wilderness where we had our first date. And I'm going to court her and I'll give her bouquets of roses. And I'll turn Heartbreak Valley into acres of hope. And she'll respond like she did when she was a young girl, like she did when she was fresh out of Egypt. And I heard that passage a few days before I wrote it on my prayer list. And I had lingering remnants of some deep heartbreak valleys, ones that left pretty deep wounds, lots of scars, lots of tears. And I wanted more than anything for God to invite me to start all over again like he did for Israel And I wanted that promise he promised them. I wanted acres of hope. And what a promise we can all hold on to. We don't want to live one day without hope. That's so hard. No matter how hard the enemy tries to tempt us to lean into hopelessness about the smallest thing or the biggest thing, I just want to have hope. And I never knew that God was referring to a literal place when he mentioned Heartbreak Valley in verse 15 until this year. I was studying the book of Joshua, and Joshua chapter 7 tells the story of a man named Achan and his family. And they were a part of the miraculous battle in the city of Jericho that God helped the people of Israel fight. And God told them to take nothing after they defeated that city. But Achan stole a cloak five pounds of silver and a bar of gold, and he buried them underneath his tent. And the next battle for Israel didn't go very well, and God quickly confirms with Joshua that the covenant between him and the people of Israel had been broken. Somebody took something. And God tells Joshua to gather everyone together, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, and family by family, until the person who caused the trouble was found. And the last person standing was Achan. And Achan admits what he has done. He took the cloak, the gold, and the silver. And those things were what Achan chose to put his hope in. But instead of using them for any purpose, he buried them. And they did not help his hope at all. They actually only hurt him. And That made me think, and we can think about this together. What dazzles my eyes? What dazzles your eyes, but burdens your heart and crushes your hope? Is there something I have buried and hidden that I might need to confess so that my full hope can be secured in God's truth? After Achan's confession, Joshua leads him to a valley with his family and his entire flock of animals and the items that he stole. And all of Israel stoned Achan and his family. They actually burned them, and they placed a large pile of rocks over them. And the pile of rocks make it seem so very permanent, like a monument resurrected to always remind the people of this day and this place and this valley, a place to be marked forever. And the valley where all of this happened was given the name, the Valley of Acre. And in the message version of the scripture that we read together, it's called the Valley of Heartache. 
Aiken, the man's name, means trouble, and Acor, the place, the valley, means troubling. And with names like that, it seems navigating around this trouble was impossible. But Aiken was always connected to hope. If you read his ancestry in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, it says he was the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah, the same tribe as Jesus. Achan was always connected to Jesus. He was always connected to hope. Our assurance in Jesus is that trouble, even if that's our name, does not have to always last. And we are always connected to hope. In Hosea chapter 2, Israel was in a similar situation as Achan. They were in the middle of a pile of rocks because they had forgotten God. And God wasn't going to let that pile of rocks stay where it was. He had a plan to allure Israel back into his arms and to give her fresh hope. God always has a plan to give you hope. God lists his plan of hope in Hosea chapter 2 verses 14 through 15. And let's read that together together a little slower this time. I'm going to start all over again. I'm going to take her back into the wilderness where we had our first date and I'll court her. The wandering in the wilderness is where it all started for Israel when they left slavery in Egypt, when hard things happen in the wilderness, those hard things produce visible evidence of hope. The children of Israel would never have made it to the land they hoped for if it wasn't for the wilderness. And Jesus spent some time in the wilderness too. The Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness before he began redeeming his people and healing them and providing them with salvation. If it weren't for the wilderness, we wouldn't know how to fight our enemy with truth of scripture like we read about in Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. When tempted by the enemy to turn stones into bread because he was hungry, Jesus responded by quoting Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, man shall not live by bread alone. And when the enemy tried to tempt him to worship him, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only from Deuteronomy 6 13. And when Satan tried to tempt his ego, Jesus replied, do not put the Lord your God to the test in Deuteronomy 6 16. We needed a savior who was free of pride, free of ego and materialism. And his preparation preparation began in the wilderness, just like ours does. And let him take you to the wilderness if it means hope on the other side. Remind yourself where your help comes from and where your hope comes from. Your wilderness might feel unbearable right now, and it may have been many long years since you've seen any signs of hope, or you may just have begun to feel the tinges of discomfort, of hopelessness. No matter how many steps you've taken in the hot sand of the desert, practice what Jesus did in the wilderness. Contend against your enemy with scripture and with hope. Fight. Be assertive with your truth. And when you don't know what to say or you don't know what to pray, pray the words of Jesus. 
the words of scripture. Pray those to him. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Psalm 33, 22. And Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord with my whole being. I wait, and in his word I put my hope. In Psalm 62, verses 5 and 6, For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Psalm 42, 11, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God and I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. You can surrender your anxiety, your fear, your frustration, and the feeling that you just want to let go and give up because his plan for hope for you is that you remember his deep love for you. Look for ways he's taking you into the wilderness to start over again. Look for ways he is displaying his love for you, just like the time when you first fell in love with him. They are all signs that you can hold tight to your hope in him. He is faithful and he never changes. I'll give her bouquets of roses. God's courting continues with the gift of the sweet fragrance of restoration. He wants the smell of ash from the fire that once burned the valley to be replaced with the aroma of new petals. He wants to generously repair Israel's memory of this place and the covenant of their love. And some translations refer to this verse as, I will give her vineyards back to her. When Moses sent 12 spies to initially explore the promised land and check out what it looks like, the scripture says in Numbers 13 verse 23 that they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes and two men carried it on a pole between them. It took two people to carry one cluster of grapes. God was promising to restore her first symbol of hope that awed her in the promised land. Can you imagine the hope you would have felt seeing two men carrying one cluster of grapes after wandering in the desert? What's that moment for you? When were your eyes first wide-eyed in wonderment with how big the love of God is? What memory full of ashes do you need restored with the abundance and bounty of God's hope? Centuries later, the symbol of hope included in the cluster of grapes from the vine were used in Jesus's first miracle with turning water into wine and in the cup Jesus shared with his disciples during the Passover meal and the cup that we share together when we celebrate communion together. Jesus embodied the hope found in those grapes. Jesus says at the Passover meal, this is my blood of the new covenant in Matthew 26. Everything was made for that moment and there is no greater hope he wants to give you. He is your salvation. I'll turn Heartbreak Valley into Acres of Hope. What happened in the Valley of Acre was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking for Joshua. It was heartbreaking for the tribe of Judah. It was heartbreaking for Achan and for his family and the people of Israel who had just come out of the desert hoping to go into their promised land. And the tragedy that occurred in the Valley of Acre caused a ripple effect of grief and destruction. 
and the hopes uh, and for the joy of the promised land now looked like a pile of rocks in a valley that would be there as a reminder forever. But the very idea that God declares that he will turn this forsaken place into acres of hope means that he is reaching down and restoring her honor. He is exchanging her despair for her great expectation. Are you in a valley right now, staring at a heap of giant stones? What is your great expectation? It's okay to lament your heartache, and you can mourn and share your sorrow with the one who never misses a tear and loves to hear your voice. He turned heartbreak valley into acres of hope. She'll respond like she did as a young girl in those days when she came fresh out of Egypt. This beautiful declaration in this verse is that God knows that she will respond. His kindness will draw her back into full relationship with him. And God also remembers how she responded. When she was fresh out of Egypt, she responded to him by singing. Miriam, Moses's, and Aaron's sister sang a song of hope right after the Red Sea closed in on the Egyptian army that was following them. And in Exodus 15, starting in verse 20, it says, Miriam, the prophet, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Then Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. And the God who sees you struggling with feeling hopeless hurled an entire army into the sea. And he's the only one who can help you. And when he does, he and the glory of his radiance is unmistakable. Keep singing and keep dancing in the hope of his deliverance. Make a vow to never stop singing and inviting others to follow you. Find a song that you can sing that makes your heart soar with hope. Sing it in the car, on a walk, or while you're washing dishes. Put it on repeat. And as you sing, imagine your worship exalting God's name and proclaiming his power with the angels who join you. Your voice can reach the heart of heaven. Don't let hopelessness steal your song. Please keep singing. You wage a war with the enemy that he can't win when you do. Don't go down without a fight for your hope. Three years ago, I was in Jerusalem, and it's one of my favorite cities in the world. And in ancient cities like Jerusalem, there are acres and acres of land that have been built and destroyed to rubble and rebuilt again on the same space of land. And each time the city is rebuilt, it's a sign of hope. And I have this picture that my friend McKenna helped me draw. And it's a picture of Jerusalem. And it starts with 3500 BC when the city of Jerusalem is first thought to have started to develop. And if you start at 3500 BC and you can imagine the different layers of destruction and the many times that they were conquered by different people groups across that span centuries. And 
those layers and layers of rubble and destruction and defeat. That city was rebuilt on top of the rubble. And sometimes when they rebuilt, they used the rubble to rebuild the city. And much like these historical snapshots make an indention in the earth of the earth's history, every time you and I feel hopelessness, it indents our hearts. And those moments can get buried deep under layers and years of hurt. And then you're left with the rubble of grief or anger or disappointment and doubt and emotional pain and trauma and verbal abuse. And grief would like to tell you that you will always feel extraordinarily empty and sad. But truth says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit in Psalm 34:18. Joy can stack on top of sorrow. And anger would like to tell you that it will always be rooted in your heart. But God says that you can put away anger and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart in Colossians 3. The serenity of Jesus can stack on top of rage and resentment. Doubt would like to tell you that Jesus' power does not exist to save you. But scripture proves that Jesus answered the desperate cry of a man who prayed, I do believe, but help my overcome my unbelief in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Faith can stack on top of unwavering confidence. Your enemy would like you to think that your rubble means destruction and devastation forever without the possibility of rebuilding. But God's kingdom does not work like that. God takes rubble and rebuilds a beautiful city with layers, just like Jerusalem. Jesus calls you the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Your ruins do not have to remain a heap of wreckage of destruction. They can be the foundation of your hope. You are that beautiful city, every acre of hope, and you are called to shine brightly for him. Don't stop stacking. Your layers shift when you change your focus. Every morning when the sun rises, we get to start all over again with God, just like he promised Israel in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Choose to change your focus from your disappointments to God's ability to redeem them. If you can remember that God's love and mercy never stops and his faithfulness is forever, then you can have hope. And your layers shift when you dig. Digging on archaeological sites is conducted super scientifically. It takes a skilled level of technique and critical thinking and analysis to determine how to dig and what soil to move on a site. What do the layers of your foundations look like? What past hurts and disappointments have made their imprint and seem stagnant and lifeless? What layer is God building in you? What do you want your next layers to look like? You don't have to be timid when you think about your acres of hope. Boldly pray your hopes. Ask the Holy Spirit to gently unearth moments where your hope has been shattered. And ask Jesus to gently whisper truth over every broken layer. You are what he fought the enemy for. Your layers shift 
when you pray. And that's what we're going to do together. I have this wooden sign with Romans 12, 12 that my friend Ruth gave me, and it's written in beautiful cursive script, and I have it in my bedroom. And it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And the Holy Spirit gives us power to be patient, even when it hurts, and to be joyful while we hope. And if it's hard for you to pray right now, I understand. You can just practice sitting quietly with God and sort out all the noise to land on what your deepest prayer is. And if that prayer is just one word, say it with every drop of hope you have. And make prayer a layer in between all of the other ones, all the good ones and all the bad ones. Because our ruins do not have to remain a heap of wreckage of destruction. They can be the foundation of your hope. And if you're waiting and hoping, keep waiting and hoping. And as we're hoping and waiting, he is preparing you. And God can exchange your urges to give up for a deep confidence that Jesus will not let you go. The cross shines brightest in the middle of the hardest moments. And I love that thought from one of my favorites, She Reads Truth. The more time you spend with Jesus, the clearer it becomes on what you should be waiting for and where your hope should be. Your hope and healing will help you execute your next step very well. And let the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit empower you as you wait, give you courage as you wait, give you joy while you wait, give you vision as you hope, guide your footsteps, anoint you in your hope, and fill your heart with prayer as you wait and hope. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. You are invaluable to the one who restores and redeems and showers you with hope when you feel empty. You are the one for whom he turned heartbreak valley into acres of hope. Father, Will you overwhelm us with your love and with your hope and with your peace? We pray that we would see Jesus afresh so much so that we love him more than anything. And thank you that your love is molding us, giving us divine hope as we wait. And we thank you for the hard things because the hard things make us more like you. And we wait to see what you are preparing for us and what you are planning for your people. And today we want to bear witness to your kingdom and we want to serve you. And we want our hope in you to be evidence that we are not letting go of your promises. We stand against the lies of the enemy that we are left without hope because your word is alive and full of every promise we can cling to. We hear the sound of rain and it's a sign that you are coming to us. We trust to find you in our acres of eternal hope. Thank you for calling us.
the one for whom you turn heartbreak valley into acres of hope. Amen. As you look for your acres of hope, please know my prayers keep going for you. Asking God to show you what he has planned for you and how his strength will be with you in every moment. Remember, you are a beautiful city. Be like Jerusalem. Don't stop stacking. You are now poised to never forget that you can have acres of hope.